0: Welcome to the Eastridge Church South Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go.
1: all right good morning everyone uh thank you guys for being here today and um i just want to tell you what let's just uh, i know renee just just finished praying but let's pray also just about today's message and just just ask that the lord would would speak to our hearts all right so let's pray together thank you god again for who you are thank you for your word um god i um if, if if i have any testimony it's simply that I can testify that your word is good and it's right and it's life-changing when we accept it and we believe it and we let it change us and transform us. Um, However imperfectly we do that, um, but you are perfect and your word is perfect. So, God, just in these next moments, I pray that you would allow me uh, as best I can, God, but through the power of your spirit, God, just allow me to present your word truthfully, and clearly, and allow us all just to hear it and believe it, myself included, and just when we leave this place today to know that you have promised us that we would have trouble, but you also promised us we would have peace, and we will overcome this world by your Spirit in us, and through your blood, the blood of your Son, Jesus. God, we thank you for all you do. Thank you for who you are in your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I know that uh, a lot of us, if you've been around church maybe for a little while, if you've been in church since you were a little kid or maybe just several years anyway, you've probably heard at least a good bit about some of the disciples of Jesus, the 12 guys that kind of followed him most closely. Um, and even recently the, the, that show The Chosen's coming out. So maybe some of you guys have watched that to kind of get into their world a little bit more. But, um, but man, they, they, these guys have always kind of fascinated me. Um, just who they were, what they did, how they lived, what their ministry looked like, and we get a snapshot into their lives um, in Scripture, in the Gospels briefly, and then in the book of Acts a little bit more extensively, at least for a few of them. Mainly we see, uh, you know, Peter, and we see John, we see some of James, and then we see the Apostle Paul a good bit later in the the New Testament. The other guys we don't really see or hear from a whole lot. We know about Matthew being a tax collector, and Thomas being the guy who doubts Jesus, and and all that, but we don't Really, see a ton of them, but what we do know is as we kind of look back into church history, um, we, we do kind of find out from some of the earliest church writings in the first and second centuries uh, what ended up happening to these guys. Now, if you could just kind of put yourself in their place for a moment, right, to be one of the disciples. Of Jesus and who we later call the apostles. Now the word apostle really just kind of means messenger, um, someone who goes with a message. But that's that. That's the twelve apostles, thirteen apostles if you count Paul, which. Scriptures do count Paul, so 13 apostles. But but uh, just kind of outside of Scripture, kind of after uh, the Scriptures and, and what uh, Christian history and the, the historical writings around that kind of tell us about them, um, here's just a few things about these 13 guys. Okay, really quickly, and I'm going to come back to them at the end, um, because I want us today to understand... Who these men are that Jesus is talking to. Now, uh, to be clear, there are some others that were involved around like the time that, that Jesus is talking to these disciples. There's some other disciples of Jesus who are around. There's some women. There's some other guys. Uh, a lot more people are following Jesus than just these 12. But these 12 became, like I said, the apostles who were charged with going and starting the earliest church right in the book of Acts. So, so here's kind of what we know about them. We have Peter. Peter preached the first Christian sermon at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He stands up, he, he preaches, and says he, he, he wins 3,000 people to Jesus that day. Now, that's a good sermon. I've never preached a sermon that good. Um, he, he baptized into the faith the first non-Jewish person. His name was Cornelius, right? He he also baptized, um, or he, he brought into the faith Samaritans and Gentiles alike, which Jesus told him was going to happen. Peter, I'm going to build my church on you, the rock. And what he meant by that was, you're going to be the one who kind of unlocks the gospel to the nations, right? To to be able to do that. So Peter goes to the first Gentile and then Paul later becomes the, the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter and John taught day by day in Jerusalem all about Jesus leading to their imprisonment. And once he was released, Peter was said to have traveled to Asia Minor, that would be like Turkey today, and then on to Rome, preaching the gospel until the day that he died. And he also authored two New Testament books. We have the Apostle John, who's the writer of John, who's the writer of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's also the writer of Revelation. John's the only one not to get martyred for his faith. He was exiled to an island and kind of died of old age. He was known later in his life as kind of the old teacher, right, uh, amongst the apostles, one who who lived the longest, um, but he was said to, uh, he, he preached the gospel in Ephesus, um, which again is Turkey, and finally he was exiled, like I said, to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation and later died there. We have Thomas, the doubter. Now, Thomas kind of gets a bad rap because we we pretty much only know, that, <clears throat> only know that story about him, that he was the doubter. He was the guy that when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't really believe that it might be Jesus, so he wanted to touch the wounds and all of that. So we kind of give Thomas a bad rap, but Thomas was actually known as one of the most passionate preachers of the gospel after that. Um, And in fact, if you were to go to India today, if you went on a mission trip or something like that to India, they would probably tell you that they credit the apostle Thomas as the one who brought the gospel to India. We have Andrew, who is Peter's brother. He moved to Greece and perhaps even the Ukraine to preach the gospel. We have James the greater. There was James the greater, James the lesser. That might just mean like taller or shorter, might mean older or younger. We don't really know. But James the greater, Um, He was the brother of John. Today is honored greatly in Spain where he was said to have brought the gospel for the very first time and he was the first one to die in, in AD 44. And we have James the Lesser. Now, this might have been the half-brother of Jesus. In fact, earliest church tradition does hold that this James was the brother of Jesus, who also wrote the book of James. Some kind of disagree with that, but whoever this guy was, James the Lesser, uh, he became the bishop in the church of Jerusalem. And he, along with Peter John, Peter and John, commissioned Paul into apostleship, which is pretty cool um, that James got to be the, the one who kind of commissioned Paul to go and be the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, and like I said, he was, the, he was the bishop in the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which is, which is awesome. Then we have Jude, who said to have preached in Persia and actually converted the entire city of Edessa after healing its king, and he wrote the book of Jude later in the New Testament. We have Simon the Zealot. His ministry was connected to several places, Britain, Egypt, elsewhere in Africa, and Persia. He's likely martyred in Persia. We have Philip, who moved to Caesarea, which is northern Israel. He had four prop- prophetess daughters, and he later moved on to Anatolia, where he preached the gospel until the day that he died. We have Bartholomew, who went to Armenia, where he converted the king's brother to Christianity. We have Matthew, the former tax collector, who wrote the first gospel, and he was said to have preached the gospel for 15 years in Jerusalem before moving around the Caspian Sea and onto Persia. And we have Matthias. Matthias was actually brought into the apostleship by the other 11 after Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. He kills himself, so they have to bring in a new apostle to be the 12th, and they bring in this guy named Matthias. Um, And he was said to have preached the gospel in the land of the cannibals, Anybody? Anybody know where that is? Ethiopia, Africa. That's where he went into the land of the cannibals fearlessly and boldly to preach the gospel, which is just amazing. Um, And then, obviously, at the 13th, Saul, who we also know as Paul, who had a 35 year missionary ministry to the Gentiles. And he, um, the the rest of the New Testament really depicts a lot of his sufferings and trials and persecutions that he went through as he preached the gospel. Now, I know that's a lot. You you guys don't have to remember that. There's not a test. Um, But. All of that to say, these guys, these 12 and then Paul the 13th, Jesus obviously knew what they were going to deal with and go through, right? Once he died and rose again and once he went back to be at the right hand of the Father like Cameron was talking about, Jesus knows that these men are going to face immense persecution, trials, unlike maybe any other people in the history of the world had faced up until this time. They were going to have to go up against the, the Roman political system and the Jewish religious system, right? Both of which were highly corrupt and out to get them and out to stop them and out to kill them, which they did. And Jesus is talking to these men the night before he's, he, he goes to be crucified, the night that he is arrested. And that's what we're doing in this series to kind of look at the words that Jesus is giving them on that night to kind of set up for them what was about to happen and kind of lay this foundation under their feet. He's, he's basically saying to them, I know, I would know, and I want you to know that stuff is not going to be easy for you in the coming days and months and years. So here's what I need you to understand. Here's what I need you to know and to believe and to hold on to as you go into the world to start the church, my kingdom, to spread it and build it in this world. And obviously they did, and it has lasted the last 2,000 years. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to the book of John. John 15 is where we're going to start in John 16. Um, There's a whole lot here. I'm not going to read all of this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read a few key verses. Starting with John 15, 18, I'm going to read you guys a few key verses from John 15, 18 to John 16, This is really the section that I want to cover. Um, if you want to go home maybe and read this later, just read John 15, 18 through 16, That's where we're at today, but I'm not going to read all that just for time's sake. That would take forever. So here's here's what I want to look at today. Jesus, I think, in this section is laying an argument out for the disciples. Like An, an argument, what I mean by argument is just a logical flow of thought. Right, he wants them to understand some things that are true, and as they understand these things that are true, he's going to share with them the reality behind all of that, so that they can go into the world, so that they could go and be the apostles that he was going to call them to be after his death and his resurrection. Right, so here's what he says. I, like I said, I'm just, I'm, I know I'm picking a few of these verses. Um, just, I'm, I'm picking the ones that I think highlight the flow of thought that Jesus is giving to them. Okay, so John 15:18 says this. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Skip down to verse 20. It says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they would also obey yours. And we skip down again to to John uh, 16, verse 1. It says this, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. John 16, 6, because I have said these things, you are filled with grief, but I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to come to that in a second. Look at verse 20, John 16, 20. He says, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Keep reading John 16, 22. So with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And then verse 33, here's our kind of key verse for the day. Last verse, John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. Can everybody just say peace? Everybody say peace. peace. In me, you may have peace in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So here's here's Jesus' flow of thought. Again, like I said, I know I was cherry picking some verses, but just to kind of highlight those as as he's making this progression of thought here. here. Here's the way I think Jesus is thinking as he kind of walks them through this whole section. He says this, the world is going to be against you. Right? Peter, John, James, other James, Jude, like all of you guys. I want y'all to understand this. The world is not going to be friendly to you. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be for you. It's going to be against you. But then he says, I am telling you these things so that you won't fall away. That's John 16:1. So what is he talking about when he says that, that you won't fall away, that you won't, the, the word he uses is actually the word uh, scandal. That's the word that John uses when he wrote that, fall away. It's like scandal, that you won't fall into scandal, that you won't stop believing the truth. That's really the idea of what Jesus is saying, right? And then he says, you have no need to be sad at my leaving. He's like, I know when I leave, you guys are going to have grief. You remember that part he was talking about? You're going to have all this grief and you're going to struggle. and The world's going to rejoice at your sorrow and at your grief, but you have no need to feel that way. Why? He said, because I'm going to return, coming back for you. There's no need for you guys to live in this kind of grief. And he says, you will suffer and you will struggle in this world, but you will experience joy in me that cannot be taken away. Right? And, and Jesus talks so much about joy. If you guys were here last week, as we talked about abiding in him, at the end of that section, he says that I, I want this to be true of you, that your joy may be full, right? That my joy is in you and your joy is full, right? Jesus loves to talk to us about joy. And then I think kind of the end of this is that John 16, 33 he says, therefore in me, you're going to have this peace. You're going to have a real peace that comes from this Holy Spirit living in you that gives you this joy in a world full of tribulation because I have overcome the world. So all that to say, man, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Yes, things are going to be hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat for this for you. Things are not going to always be easy for you. In fact, if you're going to follow Jesus, things are often going to be difficult because the, the world that we live in is not for us, it's against us. This is what he's telling his disciples, but you don't have to have grief. You can have joy, and because of that, you have peace in me because I have overcome the world. Now, I want you to leave here this morning knowing the answer to this question. What exactly does it mean to overcome the world? Because, I I think that's an important question to ask, because um, uh, this is a very popular verse, John 16, 33. I have overcome the world. Um, uh, We we love that idea, right, of overcoming the world. And I think for a lot of us and a lot of Christians, um, that idea starts to become synonymous with being uh, successful in the world. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I know, that's not what Jesus is talking about. And we're going to look at that. Okay, so here are three promises. I want you to have these three promises. I want you to know these these three things are true. I think Jesus is telling his disciples these three things are absolutely true. And at the end of that, we're going to see what it means that we overcome. Okay, so number one, here's the three promises. Number one, you're going to have trouble. That's a promise. Jesus guarantees this to his disciples. He says, if they persecuted me, they will what? persecute you. He actually says later, and I didn't read this verse, but he says, you know, no one's greater than their master. No servant is greater than his master. And what he's saying is, you guys are my servants. I'm the master. And if they persecute me, what do you think they're going to do to you? They're not going to persecute the master and then not persecute the servants. That's what the world does, right? In this world, you will have trouble. So what's the nature of this trouble? That the world hates Christianity, now, listen, I know this is a super happy message so far, and I understand that. Um, but what I, what I want us to understand is just simply this. When we say the world hates Christianity, it doesn't mean that every person in the world doesn't want to be your friend. It doesn't mean that every person in the world doesn't want to talk to you or anything like that. You might have non-Christian friends. I hope that you do have non-Christian friends. You probably do. You probably know people who are not following Jesus, who love you, and you love dearly, and you all have great relationships, and that's awesome. When the, when the New Testament mainly talks about the world— What it's talking about is more of a a, a standard of thinking and living, a paradigm that exists in the world that we live in, right? It's a paradigm that is not Christian by nature, okay? Um, and, And guys, you know that this is true if you just look at the world around you. Watch the news for 10 seconds. Get on Facebook later today and you're going to understand very quickly that this world, surprise, is not Christian, is not absolutely sold out to the things of Jesus the way that Christians are. Yeah, this world might play the game of being like, oh, you know, we like Jesus. We think that's a good idea, and you can kind of believe that if you want to, but we believe this. Well, I got news for you. If you have the mindset of Jesus is nice, but I believe this, you're against Jesus. You're against him, and that's the entire world and Jesus is just simply saying, look, this world is not going to love the things that you believe. And it's not going to follow, uh, you know, it's not going to follow everything that you believe or everything that you teach. He actually says, if the world loved me, they would love you and they would follow you and they would listen to your teachings. But because the world does not, they're not going to listen to you. First John, he says the same thing. That the world, that the world is characterized by this idea of being Anti-Christian. In the letter of 1 John, John uh, comments on this. By the way, uh, if you're reading through the Gospel of John, especially the, these, these passages here, John 15 through 17, if you go and read the book of 1 John, I think 1 John is a commentary on, on Jesus' words here. Okay, it's going to help you understand Jesus' words a little bit better. And I'm going to read a couple of verses from there in just a second. Um, but again, he's talking about, man, we 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 can't believe that this world. One, is our home, or two, is always going to be kind to us and agree with everything that we do? Why are we surprised when we face trials? Right? James said that. Why are you so shocked when things don't go your way? You think you live in a place that's your home? This is not where you belong. Paul says, we have a kingdom, Philippians 3.20. We belong to a kingdom, a different kingdom than this. So here's 1 John. 1 John 2, I'm going to read you 15 through 17. He says this. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for everything in the world. Now here's, like I said, here's that paradigm. Here's what I think the New Testament, here's what Jesus meant. Here's what John means by the world, okay? Everything in the world, here it is. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So the world, according to John, according to Jesus, according to New Testament authors, is characterized by sin and a mindset that is anti-Christ. Okay? Okay? And John also explains in 1 John, we talk about antichrist. That just simply means people who are against Jesus, people who don't confess him as Lord. Cameron talked about that a minute ago. We confess him as Lord by the Holy Spirit. Anyone who does not, that is antichrist. You're anti-Christian, and that's the characterization of the world. Okay, So that is a promise, that is a guarantee. I know that's not always fun stuff to hear, fun stuff to think about or talk about, but man, we have to understand it. And the other part of that is this, that the world will constantly be trying to, To pull us into it and away from Jesus, right? There's an old old saying that nobody coasts into Christianity, right? You either are driving towards Jesus or you're anchored in Jesus or you will drift. If you're drifting, you're going to drift away from Jesus. You're going to drift into the world. And this is what the world wants always to draw us into its way of thinking, to draw us into, you know, its its sinful desires. That's what 1 John just said, right? It's sinful desires. They're passing away. But whoever does the will of God, he said, abides forever. Back to that abiding thing from last week. So the way maybe an illustration to kind of think about the way John thinks about the world. It's like if you decided to go on a cruise ship, right? And you, you, you knew for a fact that this cruise ship had a, you know, a giant hole in the side of it. And as long as it was kind of sitting at the dock or whatever, it was fine. But as soon as it would set out to see that this ship was going to go down, absolutely. And you knew that. But even so, you bought a ticket to the ship. You get on the ship because you just want to go down the slide into the pool, right? You, you just want to go sit and suntan on the deck. You just want to go eat all you can eat and drink all you can drink on that ship, even though it's going to go down. This is how the New Testament authors describe the world that we know there's entertainment there. We know it's going to be fun, but it is a sinking ship. The world and its desires pass away, right? And and this is what Jesus means when he says, in this world you're going to have trouble. Even as Christians, we, we live on a sinking ship. We just haven't bought a ticket because we know that we have a destination that's elsewhere, right? We know that we have a kingdom that's greater, and that's where we belong. And it's a beautiful thought. So yes, in this world we'll have trouble. But number two, you will have peace. You will have peace even in this trouble. Again, last week we talked about abiding in Jesus and in John 14 and 15, just what that means to be in Jesus and Jesus in us as we bear fruit in his kingdom. And this is the peace that we have because that fruit that's being born out of our lives comes through the Holy Spirit who also gives us peace. And I wanna show you this because I want it to be clear that it is the Holy Spirit who provides this Christian peace. Again, remember Jesus is talking to his disciples, his apostles, the 12 who are gonna go out into the world to do some really hard things. So they're going to need peace. They're going to need a lot of peace. Okay, 1 John chapter 3 says this. And uh, this is verses 23 and 24. 1 John 3. He says, And this is my command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. There's that abiding. And this we know, this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us, right? So there's the Holy Spirit. How do we know that we're in Christ? How do we know that we're abiding in Christ? It's by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And I want you to see the connection that, that, um, that John makes here and that Jesus really makes um, between the idea of peace. Right And the idea of, of Jesus giving us the Holy Spirit, here's what happens. Um, right after Jesus resurrects from the dead in John 20, 21, and, 20, and 22, um, this happens. Jesus appears to his disciples. He's died. He comes back from the dead. He appears to his disciples and it says this. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. So they're, they're afraid. They don't have peace right now. Okay. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus promised them they were going to have joy, too. They are overjoyed. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, listen, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What is this peace that Jesus wants us to have? And it not just wants us to have, what is this peace that he has guaranteed us that we will have? It is that we have received his spirit. Jesus actually said, it's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for you that I'm leaving because when I leave, I'm going to send him, the spirit. And no longer will you just be able to say, Jesus is with me or beside me, but you can actually say the spirit is in me. He's in me. He lives inside of me. He abides in me, and I abide in him. I live in him. He lives in me, and I have peace, even on a sinking ship, even in a world that's not my home, even in a place where I will have trouble. I have peace. And this word peace, I love this word. In Greek, it's the word irene. And it's an interesting word because it actually comes from the idea, a word that means to be brought together into wholeness right? And it's like Jesus is saying, in my giving you peace by the Holy Spirit, it's like that's the last piece of the puzzle. Now you're complete as a Christian. You have everything that you need. You have my word, and you have my peace by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. You need no more than that, right? Because you live in me, and I live in you. My word exists, and my spirit exists inside of you, and you are now complete as a Christian, right? It's just a beautiful thought. So we will have trouble, yes, but we will have peace. And the third truth is this. You will overcome. You will overcome. So again, John 16, Here's what it says exactly. It says this. Oh, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So since we live in a world that seeks all the time to ensnare us and draw us away from Jesus, right? I I want us to kind of follow this train of thought because I think right there is where we can start to see why Jesus is so intent on letting us know. I want to give you peace and I want to give you joy because you live in that kind of world that's trying to draw you away. Can that not cause us some anxiety, right? Can that not cause us some fear, some doubts, some struggles in our faith to kind of think, man, every day I got to wake up and I got to figure out how to stay following Jesus today. I got to kind of white knuckle this thing and I got to make it happen for myself. And I got to make sure that I don't fall away, that I don't follow the world, that I don't screw it up too bad. Guys, that's anxiety and that's, that's hard. That's strife. That's struggle. But Jesus is not telling us that maybe if we hold on tight enough that we will overcome. He's telling us two things. I have overcome, and because I have overcome, you have overcome. Not you will maybe overcome if you can hold on tight, but I have overcome and I am holding on tight to you. Guys, one of the foundational truths of Christianity that we have to understand is who is holding who. Right? Are you holding on to Jesus, or is He holding on to you? And the picture, I like to kind of think about when I think about that is is a child sitting on their dad's shoulders, right? Who's holding on to who? Right? Yeah, the kid can say, "Man, I'm holding on. I got dad real tight." But the reality is what that dad's got the kid. And I think this is a picture of Christianity. Yeah, we're sitting on the shoulders, but man, he's got us tight, and we're safe, and we overcome because he has us. Right? So John, again, like I said, First John. I think, really comments on this really well. So 1 John chapter 5 says this. I want you to understand. I told you I wanted you to leave here knowing exactly what it means to overcome. Here's what it means. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God, listen, overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. How do we overcome the world? What does it mean to overcome? As Jesus is talking about here, I have overcome and in me, you will overcome. And John says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ has overcome. What, what, what's the answer? What does it mean as Christians that we overcome? It means that we believe in Jesus and we stay faithful to Jesus no matter what. It has nothing to do, church, tune in. It has nothing to do with any kind of worldly gain or success. In fact, it would, I would say it has everything to do with just simply following Jesus even, even when we have no success or no gain in this world. Back to these apostles, back to these 12 men, you know how every one of their lives ended? Horribly. Terribly. Not glamorously. I can tell you, Peter, Andrew, Simon, Philip, and Bartholomew were all crucified like Jesus. James, Jude, and Paul beheaded. Thomas and Matthew were speared. James the lesser was beaten or maybe stoned to death while praying for his killers. Matthias was stoned. John was exiled to Patmos. And every one of them overcame the world. Everyone. And Jesus himself had already said, I have overcome the world. In, 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 in chapter 14, he actually said, I've, I've given myself over to the Father to do exactly as he says. So he knew that he had overcome because he was sold out to the commands of his Father, and we overcome by being sold out to the commands of Jesus to walk in him and stay true to him and follow him and never leave him and always trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what happens in this world. If you die penniless and homeless with Jesus Christ, you have overcome the world. That's how it works. And I'm not saying that any of us is going to to have that kind of fate, right? And I don't hope that or wish that on anybody. I don't know what the Lord is going to continue to do in our lives and with us. I don't know where this country is going to go. We don't know these things. But what we do know is that we have a God who has sent his son to die for our sins, to save us from eternal death and his wrath And now he has given us a job to go and share that good news with the world. And if we will do that, if we will stay faithful and true to him until the day that we die, we will overcome. Because we have overcome in him. Guys, that's the good news. That's the good news. It has nothing to do uh, with, with gaining something in this world. It has everything to do with gaining Christ, even though we might lose everything in this world and being willing to do so. That's overcoming the world. Man, I love that we sang that this morning. Your name has overcome, right? Nothing will overcome the name of Jesus. we, We light up the darkness by just knowing him and seeing him and believing in him. Jesus has overcome the world. Church, if we will be this kind of church, I think maybe we could kind of tap into some of what the apostles were experiencing. When in the book of Acts, they go and they boldly proclaim the name of Jesus everywhere that they go. They they are beaten, they are imprisoned, and they leave the prisons rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. Paul and Silas sit in prison singing hymns because they're counted worthy to suffer for his name. Every one of them go to their death gladly. There is story after story after story, not just of the apostles, but other Christians in the earliest church who in Rome would go to their death in the Colosseum just rejoicing and praying and singing and telling their captors and their officers about Jesus on the way. There's stories of Roman officers being killed in the Colosseum with the Christians because they became Christians on the way to take the Christians to get killed. There are story after story like this because the Christians had no fear. Why? Because they overcame. They had nothing to lose because they had already gained everything that could be gained in Christ Jesus. And they lived their lives this way. Church, if we will be this kind of church, this drives out fear. This drives out fear. Some people will teach you that we don't have to be afraid in this world because to overcome means we're going to get a lot of stuff in this world. We've overcome the world, so we're gonna be successful and we're gonna be rich and we're gonna be healthy and we're gonna that that that's absolute garbage. We don't convince the world of the greatness of Jesus by wanting stuff in this world. We convince the world of the greatness of Jesus by wanting Jesus more than anything in this world. That's it. And this is our overcoming. Paul says in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors. Same word. It's actually from the word Nike that we get, right? right? Nike, overcome victory. Same word. And what does he say after that? That we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he saying? I know that we overcome because it's not us holding on to him. He's holding on to us. He's got us. We're his And we've overcome this world, so let's go show the world who Jesus is, no matter what we have to lay down for them to see him in us. Guys, let's be that church. Let's be that church, amen? Let's be that church that can go out into this world without fear of what may happen or what we may lose because we've already gained everything there is to gain. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you, God, for Jesus Christ, that we have overcome In him already, we are overcomers. We are more than conquerors. This is what your word says. And so we can go and we can live without fear. I pray that we would. I pray that we would trust you and that we would go out. We would tell our neighbors about you. We would serve our coworkers and share the gospel with them. We would share the gospel with our families and our friends and our acquaintances and our enemies that we would share the gospel without fear because we have no fear in this world because this world has nothing to give us. God, would you make us these kind of Christians who leave this place knowing that we have overcome because you have overcome by the death of your son Jesus. And so until the day that each one of us dies, God, let us stay faithful to you. Whatever the world wants to offer us, whatever desires, we know they are passing away. It's a sinking ship. So God, let us not be tethered to that ship, but let us be anchored to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you, and you have a family at Eastridge Church.